meat of the podcast. Wait, have you ever have you ever caught your have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is gonna be Yeah. 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 This shit feels like I won't ever make it home. This is She's in Russia, I'm Smith, and I'm in Brooklyn. And I'm Lily, and I'm in St. Petersburg. Where, what are we doing today? Okay, so this coming week... We will celebrate International Women's Day. Yay! And this episode is about that holiday. It's about the history of that holiday in Russia specifically. And then it is also about one particular very important female revolutionary figure. And party politician. Named what? Named Nadezhda Krupskaya. Yeah, so just very briefly introducing the history of International Women's Day. The first day was celebrated in 1909 in New York on February 28th. And it was organized by the Socialist Party of America. And there's some confusion around why exactly this day happened. Some speculate that it was to honor female garment workers who had gone on strike. But then other articles I read said that that was a myth and that that was a story that was adopted later in the 20th century to kind of obscure or disassociate International Women's Day from its more socialist leanings, which we'll get into when we talk about the history of it in Russia. And then in 1910 in Copenhagen at the International Socialist Women's Conference, uh, a socialist leader by the name of Clara Zetkin proposes instating an International Women's Day as a way of kind of both celebrating women laborers and then also as a way to push forward the international suffrage agenda. So after this, you know, 1910 meeting, as World War One sort of gets into full swing, International Women's Day is sort of co-opted as a way to protest the war. And that's happening all over Europe. But, you know, obviously we're specifically talking about Russia. So the first time it was celebrated in Russia was in 1913. And it was done on the last Sunday in February. And of course, as always, keep in mind that we're working with a different set of calendars. So we're going to stick to the calendar as it was in Russia. So we're going to be talking about the 23rd of February a lot, and that is in reality today, March 8th. In reality. In reality. So, so yeah, just like keep in mind that International Women's Day had socialist roots from the beginning. Yes, definitely. Since 1975, the holiday has been celebrated by the UN in support of gender equality and the empowerment of women around the world. But, I mean, just from our personal experience, I didn't personally grow up with, like, celebrating March 8th. We didn't celebrate it in school. But, yeah, but that's different in Russia, right? Yes. So that brings us to the celebration of March 8th in Russia. So we're, we're going to get into a pretty detailed explanation of the origins of the particularly the February 23rd slash March 8th celebration. I, I know you don't want to do that, but it's confusing because we have to say March 8th. Okay, so to clarify, when we're talking about the revolution, we'll be using February 23rd, but when we're talking about contemporary celebrations of the holiday, we're going to say March 8th. Yeah, because the origins of the 
or the story of the February Revolution is very much the story of the origin of the celebration of this holiday in Russia. It's a bit painful, but basically the contemporary <laughs> celebration of International Women's Day in Russia is celebrated through the honoring of women and the a sort of celebration of traditional femininity. A lot of times men will give flowers or chocolate or like little sort of Valentine's Day-esque gifts to the women in their lives. They, you know, I don't know, might like also call their moms or something. It's sort of like a men relating to women focus, which is <laughs> sad or frustrating. It's sad or frustrating because it completely like erases, whitewashed yeah. or erases the actual like intense political history of the day. Yeah, it's so like the celebration of the holiday that has emerged in contemporary Russia and I think contemporary post-Soviet space at other countries as well is this celebration of traditional femininity. So femininity in the traditional sense of, you know, wife and mother, women in general of any age. The rhetoric of it is very much supporting traditional, not feminist gender relationships and gender roles, you know, like pamper your girlfriend, you know, like get her a massage, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so obviously that's like a huge perversion of the original purpose of the holiday the history of the holiday the spirit of the holiday whatever you want to call it the other part of the contemporary celebration of women's day in russia is the backlash against what i just described which does exist every year on march 8th there's at least for the past few years have been pro a protest like a march i participated particularly in the one last year which frames itself as a march for women's rights for remembering the holiday as it originally was supposed to be remembered, very positively themed. And at least last year, it wasn't sanctioned, like it didn't get permission um, to be in the city center. Okay, so you went to this thing and like what kind of signs are people holding? Okay, so one sign I remember specifically said, I don't need flowers, I need a law against domestic violence. And that is a reference to, the first part is a reference to the way the holiday is generally celebrated in contemporary Russia, as I explained. Like, I don't need you to give me flowers and be like, thank you for being a woman. Or like, I honor you, <laughs> woman goddess. And the second part is referencing this change to domestic violence law in Russia, which repealed the criminalization of domestic violence, took away the criminalization. And then like, uh, like some of the chants we said are similar to chants that I've said in protests in the U.S., like, my body, my choice. What is that in Russian? Myotela, myodela. Also rhymes. But we don't say choice. We're saying my body, my business. But, yeah, the dynamic between the police, it, it was it was just a kind of, like, shitty dynamic because the whole thing was very positive and peaceful. But the police that were sort of, like, following us as we went along Nevsky were very much, like, were extremely aggressive and would sort of just, like, at some random point would just like go into the crowd and pick people out to arrest them and were just also walking around with megaphones like announcing what law they were using to arrest people also one cop had like a camera and was like filming everything which was also just creepy because he would just like come in and like film near you so that your face would be remembered forever and then like when they would arrest people there would be uh the reaction the consistent reaction was that like the police would come in tried to start arresting someone while yelling in their megaphone like why they're arresting them oh god it's horrible and then the surrounding people would like 
as they are want to do in protests would use the tactic of like basically piling on top of that person like laying on top of them so that they can't be taken I haven't had women's day in this company but in the past on March 8th in my at my workplace I have received flowers you know from like the men of the office okay it really feels weird <laughs> and sometimes yeah. you like stand there and like you know there's like pizza or cake or something and then like the women and the men are on separate sides of the room and the whole thing is just like really bizarre like horrible like am i in synagogue i don't know like wait synagogue's not the only place but you know what i mean am i at the vodka right now <laughs> i got confused where are you you're like standing naked in the corner the only place i'm used to going to separating my gender is to vodka so i have been naked <laughs> Alright, I think we can move on from this. Alright, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about International Women's Day in the context of the February Revolution. Okay, we're back, and now we're going to talk about the February Revolution in the context of International Women's Day and, and vice versa. So to give you the setting a little bit, the year is 1917, and the February Revolution was kind of like the first public demonstration of revolution for, for the 1917 revolution that went through October. And there's kind of three things that you need to keep in mind. One, it's World War One, and World War One throughout Russia is becoming pretty unpopular. The morale amongst the soldiers is very low. All infrastructure is going towards the war effort. And so food from the countryside is not being properly delivered into the cities. And Nicholas, the czar, is on the front line. So he doesn't really have a good sense of what's going on. And the people that are communicating to him, he either doesn't believe them or they're telling him that it's like overblown. And Nicky! Nicky, come home! Yeah, he decided to do that too. That wasn't like the whole time. He was like, I'm going to go be with my soldiers eventually and poor guy he really fucked up poor guy but also like fuck him but also fuck him but also i feel bad for him but also i love that family Uh. okay so yeah world war one becoming unpopular then because of world war one you have the food shortage the result of that is that you know you have people standing in these classic lines where they're waiting either before work like really early like 5 a.m to get food for their families or they're going after work usually from like the factory or whatever to again stand in line and get food for their families also let's just remind people that things have been shitty for a while it's not just like shortage of food and that serfdom was abolished in 1861 are you you're talking about the city i'm I'm kind of talking about the city right now but it's also important to keep in mind that during this time socialism had been like spreading not only in the cities but throughout the countryside as well and also to keep in mind that though the actual population of petrograd which was the name of saint petersburg at the time which is where the 
February Revolution took place, didn't actually increase in numbers during the war. You did have an influx of people from the countryside moving to Petrograd for the war effort. So you had soldiers who were housed there as well as factory workers. But going back to this like kind of setting that we have, yeah, you have this shortage of food, you have people standing in lines. And starting around 1915 and the beginning of the food shortages, you'll have like many riots break out a little bit like in food lines people will ransack stores those sorts of things jay butler wright who was an american diplomat living in petrograd at the time documented some of the kind of sentiments and activity that was happening prior to the february revolution so this is a quote from him the cossacks are again patrolling the city on account of threatened strikes for the women are beginning to rebel at standing in bread lines from 5 a.m for shops that open at 10 a.m and that in weather 25 degrees below zero and then a czarist official informed his superiors at the end of january so a few weeks before the february revolution mothers of families who are exhausted by the endless standing in line at stores are a store of combustible material one spark will be enough for a conflagration to blaze up and then and then sort of the third thing that sets the setting here is that we have women joining the workforce so and again we're talking about like the cities here not necessarily the countryside the women in the countryside were going to work because their husbands and son etc were off at the war effort and so they were like taking over the farms so in 1914, 26.6% of the workforce were women. But by 1917, nearly half of the workforce, 43.4%, were women. And in unskilled factories, so, you know, like any garment factory or any factory that's making like uh, cloth materials like linen or cotton or anything like that, the majority of the laborers were women. I came across some sources that said that women were being paid half as much as as their male equals in the unskilled workforce. And then the last thing to keep in mind is that women who were working in these factories had kind of established relationships with soldiers who were living in barracks in Petrograd. And, and this was partially because a lot of them were, you know, of like peasant lineage. Like a lot of them had moved from smaller villages and they might already know each other or they understood each other's customs in a way that maybe like the more bourgeoisie people of the city wouldn't quite understand. I mean, what were the soldiers doing? Th- that's just like where a lot of the soldiers were housed, like in the same way that there are soldiers housed in specific cities in the United States. Okay, but weren't they at the war? Well, some of them, but some of them were at home, you know? And like maybe they would get deployed or like, you know, the the czar was using soldiers to maintain. Right, right, right. Order order at home, although, you know, that turns out not to be such a good move because it turns out the soldiers identify more with the laborers than they do with the ruling class. The day of February 23rd, 2017, (laughs) 1917, the... Explanation for what happened that day is kind of confusing. There's like one narrative that's like really simplistic and like basically it's like there wasn't enough bread and the ladies just went crazy, you know, and that like somehow <laughs> developed into something. But that seems to really not be the case. As we mentioned before, International Women's Day had been celebrated in Russia for the past few years. So it was an existing holiday that happened on the 23rd of February. And so there was always some sort of demonstration on that day. And at that point, it had taken taken on this like kind of mashup of rights of women workers and also 
the suffrage cause. So, so in the early days of this February Revolution that ended up ultimately lasted eight days, the two women who have been kind of sparsely credited with organizing a lot and maybe having planned prior the activities on International Women's Day were Nina Agajanova and Maria Vidrina. And during during these first few days of the February Revolution, they organized mass meetings of workers and soldiers' wives, workplace strikes and mass demonstrations, uh, which was the initial activity of the February Revolution. They searched for weapons to arm the crowds, and they also secured the release of political prisoners and set up first aid units. So you kind of have like the merging of two different activities, right? Like on the one hand, you have the International Women's Day and and you have people of all different backgrounds coming together for that kind of like the traditional liberal feminists of the bourgeoisie and children and students coming together and then you also have the workers who made a planned strike on this day. Wait can I also contribute to exactly what you're talking about? I just wanted to say that like I was reading an interview with a couple of British historians talking about the February Revolution and they just made a point which is exactly what you're saying but just like with slightly more divisions that the like women across class class divides were politicized really quickly and that included these like different groups of people that like overlapped with this sort of common cause but were actually distinct groups which is you already mentioned a couple of the groups like there's there's the workers there's the yeah more bourgeois like liberal feminists who are fighting for the vote for example then there's like the bolshevik women who work alongside men in the party Another group, last group, is the soldiers' wives, who were extremely politically active as well. Yeah, and so so just like kind of looking at the schedule of the day, a s- secret police of the czars had kept a log of this day. And he writes, On February 23rd at 9 a.m., the workers of the plants and factories of the Vyborg district went on strike in protest against the sor- shortage of black bread in the bakeries and groceries. The strike spread to some plants located in the Petrograd, Rozhdestvensky, and Litany districts. And in the course of the day, 50 industrial enterprises ceased working and 87,000 men going on strike. So you kind of you can kind of start to see how like oftentimes the role of women in the revolution is obscured. Like maybe he's using men as a gender neutral term here, but people down the line in history wouldn't necessarily know that. And indeed, what happened was that these workers of the Viborg district were women. And at, I guess, early in the morning, they set down their tools and they started marching down the street and going to other factories that were maybe like more skilled so they had a higher higher percentage of men working there and inviting men to join them and the men did join them and also in this quote I think it kind of shows like oh they're they're protesting against the shortage of black bread like they're just they're just angry that there's no bread and it's like yeah they're angry that there's no bread but you have to take that in the broader context of like why is there no bread and the kind of like mass unpopularity of the war and the fact that the majority of people working unskilled labor were women and they were being paid less and so there's like a lot of factors going on here that makes it much more than just like why didn't get bread today right the signs are like I think a good indication of the mix of the crowd itself and then also like the mix of the ideology of the crowd so you had signs like feed the children of the defenders of the motherland or supplement the ration of soldiers family defenders of freedom and the people's peace and you also hear things like down with the czar 
And so given this context that like the women workers had kind of established relationships with the soldiers that were living in Petrograd at the time, there is some speculation that they actually went to the soldiers before these protests and said, like, we're going to strike tomorrow. Can you promise us that you're not going to shoot at us? Who knows how accurate this is? But there's claims that they said, "Okay, we're not going to shoot at you. And I think it took a few days, but generally the armies had mutinied or had like kept this promise and weren't shooting at the crowd weren't shooting at the crowd yeah yeah like there was a lot of instances of officers telling soldiers to shoot at the crowd or to arrest people or to like blockade people and individual soldiers refusing to do so and according to one article i read quote within three days there was a general strike the army had mutinied and gone over to the revolution and czarism had collapsed and and that's just referencing the fact that like nicholas finally is convinced like oh this is actually a real thing and you need to come back to the city so nicholas comes back from the eastern front and he decides to abdicate the throne along with saying like, okay, my son is also not the successor. And as a result, the provisional government is put in place that exists along with the Bolsheviks and other socialist groups until the October Revolution. Oftentimes this this day, February 23rd, and like the resulting, you know, seven, eight days is talked about as if it was spontaneous is because it was planned by presumably the women of the Bolshevik party versus the men of the Bolshevik party. That's like a theory. Yeah, it is a theory. It's like the Bolshevik party was prepping to stage some sort of revolution, but they weren't prepping to stage the revolution on that day. And I think that like in my head, like from what I've read, it doesn't seem like, oh, the the women of of February 23rd were planning to overthrow the government. But they were saying like, okay, tomorrow's International Women's Day. We're going to have a massive strike in conjunction with like actions that are already taking place on that day. And then we're going to ask our fellow laborers to join us. And like that just like created a nice trifecta of things that was able to gain momentum in a way that the male Bolsheviks weren't planning. But I'll read this quote from Trotsky. So he writes, 23rd February was International Women's Day and meetings and actions were foreseen, but we did not imagine that this Women's Day would inaugurate the revolution. Revolutionary actions were foreseen, but without date. But in the morning, despite the orders to the contrary, textile workers left their work in several factories and sent delegates to ask for support of the strike, which led to a mass strike. All went out in the streets. So am I am I clear on understanding that you named two of the organizers as being Bolsheviks? Yeah. But at the same time, it seems like the factory strikes were planned by the factory workers, not by the Bolshevik women. Well, the, the Bolshevik women were factory workers also. One of them worked in one of the metal plants with a lot of other male laborers. I think that there is probably some truth to like the spontaneity of it. But then also the fact that like real political organizers were involved and they responded quickly and were able to do things like hosting meetings and getting weapons for the crowd and like setting up first aid units. Like those are all things that you kind of need a certain skill set to be able to do. Yeah, experience. Do you have a sense though of like what the day looked like? Like people marching down Nev Nevsky, laborers marching down Nevsky. You you have just like a lot of different stuff going on, right? And because it lasts eight days, like you get tram workers involved and they're like turning over cars to like blockade against the police. And you have protesters with guns and people giving speeches on tops of monuments. I feel like the overall picture and what was also, you know, like presented to Nikolai is chaos. 
the normal life of the city is not functioning right. properly right. or well at all. It's just not functioning. It's just like shit has stopped. And yeah, as soon as you have like, you know, mass protests and stuff, that means like whether or not like the tram workers want to be involved, like public transit is going to be interfered with. Well, yeah. And a lot of the tram workers were women and and allegedly participated and allegedly participated. Yeah, I did note just as a side note, like when I mentioned those divisions, which you also mentioned of different like groups of women in the city and in the country in general, actually, the whole soldiers wives thing goes with our theory. It does go with our theory. Yeah, really. Yeah. Like they're like they were super politicized. They just had specific demands and they like the specifically the wives of soldiers had like this really active dialogue with the imperial and then the provisional government, mm. which is cool. It is. It is cool. Yeah. Obviously, I compare this stuff to modern day International Women's Day celebrations, which are mostly shit, as we've acknowledged, but also like the Women's March, which just <laughs> it's just like so ridiculous <laughs> how effective the February revolution was like they strike and then eight days later the czar abdicates the throne you know like that's like so intense and crazy and then like the resulting government gives women the right to vote etc etc and like the modern day version of that is like we have like this march where like a shit ton of people come out but there's no obvious result from it it's a farce it's It's a a farce farce. i can't so then following the october revolution the government stated the International Women's Day is like an official holiday. And then in 65, it became a non-working holiday in the Soviet Union. And then the other thing is like, if you remember the whole original intention of International Women's Day, as stated by Clara Zetkin, was to promote women's suffrage propaganda. And the provisional government in July of 1917 granted women the right to vote. We're going to take a break, and when we get back, we'll be talking about Nadezhda Krupskaya, party figure and activist. There was a decorated general with a heart of gold that likened him to all the stories he told of past battles won and lost and legends of old. A seasoned veteran in his own time On the battlefield he gained respectful fame With many medals of bravery and stripes to his name He grew a beard as soon as he could to cover the scars on his face And always urged his men on But on the eve of a great battle with the infantry And dreamed the old general tossed in his sleep And lesser with his meaning he awoke from the night To tell what he had seen And walked slowly out of his tent All the men held tall with their chests in the air With the courage in their blood and a fire in their stare And it was a great morning and they all wondered how they would fare To the old general told them to go home He said I have seen the others And I have discovered That this fight is not worth fighting And I've seen their mothers And I will know Let's get it. Please make sure the peanut butter is cleared from your mouth. Extracting peanuts. So oftentimes when history remembers, people write about the history of the Russian Revolution in 1917. We hear about these like big male figures 
Lenin, Kerensky, Trotsky, even the Tsar Nikolai II. Arguably in Western historiography, the name Nadezhda Krupskaya is primarily associated with Lenin's wife. Yay! No. Loving being wife. Krupskaya was married to Lenin, but she was in her own right. But she never liked it. She hated it. So prior to meeting Lenin, she was already an active Marxist thinker and activist and propagandist in St. Petersburg, in Petrograd. According to this is old calendar date, she was born on the 26th of February, 1869, and she died on the 27th of February, 1939, at the ripe age of 70. Apparently, she comes from like a sort of like aristocratic noble family, but that wasn't very wealthy. She was educated in like a private all-girls school and went to finishing school, even like one of those kind of finishing-esque schools. So in the early 1890s, in her early 20s, she starts getting involved in Marxism, joins a Marxist circle at that finishing school for ladies. And in 1894, she first meets Lenin, like in this sort of, in this circle of people. Young, small, big head. Perfect in absolutely (laughs) every way. Speaks with a high-pitched voice. What a hunk. And they together, so they immediately like started working together, which is going to be like a theme of their whole lives. But only Lenin will be remembered. They organized the Union for the Struggle for the Freedom of the Working Class. It's like one of those mouthful Russian names. And then in 1896, so this is five years after she starts being a Marxist, she gets arrested, presumably for that, and like sent into exile for the next three years. Wait, where does she go? First she goes to Ufa. First she spends seven months just being locked up. She goes into exile and this is just just like another sort of like life moment because Lenin also gets exiled. Eventually, she's in Ufa. Eventually, they're both in Siberia. And she, he and she are communicating. And so I guess they just have become close over the first few years of meeting each other. They decide to get married because, like, allegedly, because that will make it so that they can be in exile together. She's like, I'm engaged to him. I need to go to the same city as him. And then they get married. So, like, they weren't even fucking by then, or they were? Who knows? Fuck, fuck, small head. <laughs> Large head, I mean. <laughs> I mean, I don't actually know, like, yeah, how romantic their relationship was, but people describe her as being this, like, really no-nonsense, like, tall. It's funny, because she's described as tall, and he's a peewee. Really whip-smart, and of course, people, men who describe her, who, like, were close to them, are like, she wasn't really a beauty. She is kind of a hottie in her own way. She does look a lot like, what's her face? Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. I think she's really, I think she's super badass and really attractive looking in her young pictures, but basically with age. So this is just a side note. Apparently she had this condition called Graves disease or like people suspected she had it because with age, she, I don't know how to say this without being rude, but got really fat. She turned into an old fatty. (laughs) Graves disease is a thyroid problem and it can, it like, I think is in the chest, can make like the eyes bulge a lot oh yeah and cause like throat constriction and with age she yeah like gets a lot larger and her eyes are really bulgy Mm. but yeah i don't know like how romantic they were before they got married or even after they got married but they were much like partners you know they they work together and help each other a lot oh they got married in 1898 also in 1898 she joins the Russian Social Democratic Labor Party. In the party, apparently she had all these nicknames. Some nicknames of hers were Sablina, Lenina, which makes sense. NK, which are her first initials. Anyegina, like Yevgeny Anyegin, I don't know why. Riba, which is fish. 
and then minoga, which is a t- type of fish, ribkina, which is a little fish. Does it, does it explain why all the fish things? No, but maybe it was just her face. Then between 1901 and like basically up to 1917, she and Lenin are abroad two separate times. The first time in Germany, and then they come back to Russia in 1905. And then the second time, the second one in 1907 to Paris. And all this time, like she's very much actively working. She's working with Lenin and working to communicate with members of the party, the Bolsheviks, in Russia while they are abroad. And they come back to Russia in 1917. They come back in April. So they miss the February Revolution. (laughs) Oops. And start preparing for the October Revolution. So in terms of Krupskaya's official party roles, it's really important to remember, like, she's not just, like, the wife of Lenin. Okay, like, yeah, she was a revolutionary, but she also held like super high up official positions within the communist party post-revolution she specifically focused her life work on education but also all of those like youth groups like the pioneers and the komsomols etc you know like the formation of communist ideology beginning with the youth that whole thing did you know that no i did not do you care no i do not (laughs) i do not (laughs) God damn it. So starting right away in 1917, she becomes a member of the the People's Commission of Education. Krupskaya was one of the main voices that was forming early Soviet youth movements and ideologies for like how how do we educate the youth in terms of communism? How do we form she was one of the formative people figuring out how education would work in general in the Soviet Union. So not just these youth programs, but just like schools what kind of curriculums, like how communist ideology would be distributed via schools. Okay. So Lenin dies in 1924. Oh, what? Yeah. And then it's like Stalin figuring out who's going to be next in power. And then Stalin becomes that person. Wait, Stalin deciding and then Stalin decides himself? No, Stalin's not deciding. It's just like, that's what's happening. Stalin's like, "Mm, I pick me. (laughs) (laughs) My turn to pick. I pick me. (laughs) So... Starting in 1924, that same year, Krupskaya is a member of the Central Committee of the Communist Party. Being a member of that, that's a high position, basically. Three years later, in 1927, she becomes a member of the Central Committee of the All-Union Communist Party. So if the first thing that she was a member of was more like Russia-focused, and the Central Committee of All-Union Communist Party is like the whole Soviet Union, Before the Politburo, it's the highest group you can be a member of. In 1937, she's selected to be the deputy of the Supreme Soviet of the USSR. I don't understand, like, all the differences about all these different parties, but again, another important position. The ladies got accolades, people, okay? I mean, this is all really fast. Like, 1917 and 1924 are only seven years apart. Yeah. Not a lot of time to build the country. And she's, like, making the Soviet education system and doing all this stuff and, like, constantly you know like involved in the very high decisions of this new government and this new system and ideology it's a whole ideology that people have to like write and create it's not just like it was already there the whole like stalin and oppositionist thing she gets gets into that tangle where she at first supports the oppositionists which include like trotsky that people probably know that name zinoviev kamenev and she 
at the 14th Party Congress in 1925, she supports them. So, like, as opposed to Stalin. But then, like, later changes her mind, and eventually she votes to expel all three of those people from the Communist Party. Oh, bummer. Yeah. She probably didn't have any bread that day. You would start a bread riot. Me? (laughs) Yeah, I would. I really would. I probably was there. Incarnated. (laughs) Yeah, and then, I don't know, it's kind of like the whole, the narrative of the 30s is kind of rough because she ends up sort of like being excluded from her, she still holds all those titles, but just like seems to have less influence. Um, she, you know, this is the 30s is when you also get like Stalin's terror starts happening. So people are starting to be accused of being enemies of the people and sent to be executed or exiled. That whole period, the terror. And during that period, she's trying to advocate as she did for her whole life for children in particular to try to protect children from being eligible to be named enemies of the people which apparently happened sucks i'm making all these like glowing statements about her but she was also one of those like she's a super hardcore marxist soviet propagandist Meaning, like, she censored things. Like, she would have us make a speech about a particular author and be like, the ideology in this is not correct, and it's, like, corrupting our children, and then that author would no longer be published. So she kind of sucked a little bit. Well, definitely, yeah. I mean, sucked in the sense that I think all these people were, like, really, really radical, and, like, when you're really radical, I think that you suck. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> our true colors are really coming out on this one. On this episode, Smith and Lily reveal their centrists. <laughs> their centrist bourgeois tendencies, which they haven't actually been hiding all along. But all the lefties, like, unsubscribe. <laughs> but we don't have to say that she sucks, but y- you get what I'm saying. Like, very, very radical. I mean, like, when I say this whole education system, like, it's really badass, but think about what that is. It's indoctrinating people from the youngest age with a particular, very particular ideology. Yeah. During the terror, like, I mean, you said that she was trying to, like, protect kids from being swept up in that. But, like, what was her role there? Do you know? Was she just, like, trying to lay low and not be tried? Yeah. She had reversed her position and realized, like, it wasn't a good idea to oppose Stalin. The sort of sentiment that I got was that just, like, her influence and her authority was just sort of, like, slowly degraded. It's hard to say what that is. I mean... The woman's in her 60s at the time. She's 70 when she dies in 1939, so yeah, in her 60s. You know what I mean? Like, there could be a lot of factors here. Like, you could do the whole, like, Lenin shadow thing and be like, well, after Lenin died, she had no power at all. You could talk about her age. I, I, do, I, don't, I don't know. I can't explain what that was. Or just Stalin's, like, way of ruling that stripped authority from people. I think the sort of overall thing is that she sort of just got quieter in the last years of her life and was, like, doing a lot of stuff more behind the scenes like a lot of work with the libraries <laughs> which is important I'm not yeah yeah no we shouldn't we shouldn't actually scoff at that it is actually very important I'm not scoffing at libraries at all it's very important ideological work censoring the shit out of the library or- <laughs> yeah birdie books in the back <laughs> she's like I'm a librarian certified <laughs> I'm a library scientist burn, burn, burn. <laughs> you want to get the books to just the right temperature <laughs> A last thing I wanted to mention is that she she was like one of the editors, main editors of this journal called Rabotnitsa, which is like female worker. It's interesting because it's a journal that still exists to this day and that first came out on the 8th of March in 1914. Unfortunately, though, according to the Internet, it was initiated by Lenin. But she really, like, she helped run it. And, you know, it's, like, another sort of, like, way of communicating 
communist party ideology and like specifically targeted to the female labor force she used it in many ways to like this is what you had talked about before to transition liberal feminists like the traditional liberal feminists move them towards socialism how did she die she just passed away okay so she died like a painful suffering death but it's unclear exactly of what she was in the kremlin hospital some theories say she was poisoned by stalinists i don't fucking know by who whoever just didn't want her to be around that's the episode thanks for listening as always subscribe to us and rate us if you listen on radio public we get a little bit of money so keep that in mind follow us on arena and twitter at she's in russia subscribe to our telegram channel it's a really wonderful little channel we have going on and you can find us in the telegram app just by searching she's in russia subscribe to our monthly image-based newsletter at she's in russia.com if you have any questions about russian politics culture history day-to-day life you can call us and leave a message at plus one three four seven two nine two seven one two six. Alternatively, if you're based outside of the U.S., you can give us a call and leave a message on Skype just by searching She's in Russia. And all that information is on our website at she's in Russia.com. And we will see you next week. Put her in a nunnery!